There you go. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Let's all stand together as our campuses join us in Stevens Point in our small group studies and all those around the world as they join here with us in Green Bay. And let's open a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the simplicity, the truth that we find in the simple message in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. Help us as we look into your word tonight to be strengthened and to be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. The guys here can pass the offering bucket, which they do on Wednesday nights here. We are in the book of Galatians. This is the Apostle Paul's first uh, letter that he wrote to the early church. This is right after his first missionary journey, where he goes running around here and goes up through Galatia and has all these great stories that we read about in the book of Acts and then came back to Antioch. Wasn't there too terribly long probably less than three years, we don't know how long it took, but uh, after he got back, before other guys start coming in behind him and start trying to undo everything he did and saying, no, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to become Jewish, men have to be circumcised, you gotta obey the law, you know, blah, 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 and it starts this big fight. And Paul writes this letter, he's furious at these people for getting sucked into this deal. Now, this is just before we believe, some Bible scholars, they debate these things, but uh, we believe this all happens before the big conference that they have down in Jerusalem, which is what we'll read uh, when we get back to the book of Acts. So this big confrontation Paul has, he is really ticked off, and he's writing, and he's making really, once you get past his fury, <laughs> a brilliant argument on why people of the Christian faith don't have to obey the law, and that... Even the Jews who are coming, really is what he's arguing, even they shouldn't have to obey this thing anymore. Uh, we see something, you know, where, you know, the apostles said, well, we'll go after the Jews and you go after the Gentiles and stuff like that. But he just thought this is all fulfilled, period. His argument is this, that uh, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all justified by faith. What he's arguing against these Jews is you guys say this all happens because of the law, but Abraham was 430 years before Moses ever showed up. So if you need the law to be justified, then how were they justified? They were justified by faith, by the promise. And we are children of Abraham because we are children of faith. So, of course, they're thinking, whoa, but what about Moses? But, you know, uh, the, the big patriarch in the Jewish faith is, in fact, Abraham. And again, hundreds of years before there's any law. So he's pointing this stuff out. Hey, it can't be the law, or those guys would have never been able to do this. They all did it by faith. They didn't know any of the law. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have Jack, you know? What they had is knowing this God, this incredible God uh, that they're putting their faith and their trust in. And, and you read through the book of Genesis, which we did some time ago, they make all kinds of mistakes, <laughs> But they don't, own, they don't own anything, you know? And God is kind of steering them in. And then finally, the Jewish nation gets so large, there's, you know, a million plus that finally go out of Egypt. Uh, and then what Paul says, that's when the law was put in to keep them all in line until we could all get to the Messiah, which brings us back to the promise. All right, we pick it up in chapter three, verse 23. Now, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Now, the only ones who even understand this, really, his whole argument, are Jewish people, Jewish Christians. The Gentile Christians, like a lot of you, have no idea what he's talking about because we're not into this whole thing. That's why I think not only is he talking to the Gentile Christians, but also to the Jewish Christians. Paul really felt none of this was necessary, and we should all just break ourselves free from it he finally came to a gentleman's agreement with the apostles, again, that they would go after the Jews, and there was this kind of this separation between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. Paul didn't really buy into any of that. Uh, so anyway, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. 
Now this faith has come. We are, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need the law anymore. We're back to how all of this started. It was by faith in a trusting, wonderful God. So it goes on. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're in Christ. It's all different now. He says there is neither, now this is huge what he says here. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female, which is a major thing that he's saying, because back then, women were counted along with the chickens and the frogs. And he's coming along and said, hey, there is no difference. In Christ, we're all the same, which is extremely curious, because when Paul starts dealing with the structure of the church, he definitely lays out a difference between slave and free, male and female. You know, I would have loved to ask him, Hey, whatever happened to this? But he probably zapped me and I had died or something. So anyway, I, I ask now. <laughs> you know, it's hard to mess with these guys. These apostles were serious dudes. So I'm glad I didn't. I wasn't around to argue. I, I wouldn't argue. I would say, hey, what happened to the, uh, we're all the same. Um, now, the argument for that, and we'll get into that as we get into the epistles, because you'll see him saying men should be this way, women should be this way, slaves should be this way, slave owners should be this all the stuff that culturally in our world today people just have fits over, especially very liberal people. Oh, Christianity is a bunch of boys because they allowed all this stuff. Well, the argument which we'll make when we get there is I believe Paul was making uh, adjustments for the cultures in which they lived, because the truth of the matter, in Christ, there is none of this. So that's why we lean more to that because our culture doesn't have all that stuff anymore. So, you know, some people don't believe that. Some, there are Christians who literally believe that women should never talk in church and still wear veils on their heads and all this other kind of stuff, which a lot of Christians did for a lot of years, but we don't. We believe that was very strong reflection of fitting into the culture because Paul said we should fit in wherever we can to win as many people as we can, which that logic means you wouldn't think that way today, Right? Because all that does is cause people to fall away from Jesus or not want to listen to Jesus because we think, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, say, well, women should be subservient. And we'll explain that as well. But we're talking Eastern culture here. I mean, you go to the Middle East today and you start preaching about Jesus and say, hey, women can do whatever they want. They're just like men. They'll probably kill you anyway. You know what I'm talking about? This is to this very day. This is the culture in which he was writing, which is still there. They could not have handled anything like that. So he said, listen, just everybody do this. Just honor God. Who cares what the culture says? Just fit in the best you can. But in truth, we see here that he understands and proclaims himself. There is no difference between man and woman. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between slave or free. All of this, we're all one in Christ. Always remember that. Whenever we get into the whole people point, the cultural things that they talk about, it's strictly in terms of culture. It's not, I don't believe. There's no way it would contradict this. That doesn't make any sense. If that's truly what God wants everybody to do, even to this day, then it doesn't make any sense. Because he says it doesn't matter. Then he says that it matters. Well, unless you separate it in those contexts, uh, it doesn't make any sense. All right, so. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, which is his argument still that we belong to the promise and heirs according to the promise. Chapter four. Of course, these weren't written in chapters, but it's broken up for our ability to follow. Chapter four, verse one. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, now he uses another analogy. He keeps using these analogies trying to explain why the law, all this stuff, doesn't really apply to us today. This was given, he says, to hold the country and the nation intact in the culture of faith. And we're talking, they lived in extremely crazy, sicko, pagan cultures. You know, there's a lot of these pagan single cultures that are still exist to this day. There are you know, not so many like it was back then, but they were surrounded by that. So these strict laws to really lay down the law for them to uh, follow. But what he's saying is we're free from that now. So now he uses an analogy. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, you are the heir to the fortune, the family fortune or whatever. Even though you're the heir, you're no different from a slave, even though he owns the whole estate. What is he saying? In that culture... If you're the heir, and you will see this in period movies where you'll see the, uh, uh, you know, the next king or queen of England or whatever is coming up in whatever country, uh, they're treated with a degree of respect because everybody knows that eventually he'll be king or queen, 
And they, I'm sure they tried to get along with the best they could because they didn't want to get their heads cut off when they, <laughs> when they took power. But the reality is they had very little, if anything, to say about anything. They were under the strict rule of the guardians that were overset them and by the, by the terms of, uh, you know, however the, the things passed from one to the other. Um, and it's not just kings and kings, the, the, uh, kings and queens. This was also in terms of anybody who had money. If you had an estate, even though let's say, you know, your dad has $20 million that you're supposed to inherit, uh, until you inherit it, you don't get it, okay? Now, they do have usually, and even in these days, they'd have certain amounts of, that were allotted to you, but in terms of having total access to it, you didn't have, I know people like this. <laughs> I know some people with a lot of money. I ain't one of them. But, uh, you know, where they, they do this whole thing, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And they, get, they become very older adults before they get control of it. Uh, it's shocking. Some of them, you know, 30s, 40s, and they still don't have control yet because of the terms of, you know, the trust or stuff, whatever, which is what he talks about. He says in verse two, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. What time is that? Who knows? It's whatever the father says. Now, in our country, we say you're an adult at 18. Well, you know, if the father said you don't get, and even today, if the trust says you don't get the money until you're 45, you don't get the money. Now, they'll set it up so that you'll get, you know, you're taken care of. It's not like these people worry about paying the rent. You know, their lives are pretty plush anyway. But they don't really get it all until whatever the time of that, whatever the deal is. So he says, that's the way it is. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That's the analogy he's using. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, this is a big distinction as well in Paul's writings. Um, you know, what he's saying is, now that Christ has come, we're not in the trustee mode anymore. We're in full sonship now. We have full access to all that God has, all right? And he often refers to, we'll see it in some of his other epistles about that we are heirs now, with Christ, sons of God. Now, I think in their culture, they understood this much stronger than we do because of the way our culture is structured today. You know, in fact, we have phrases that, you know, we're all children of God. Everybody's the children. He's got the whole world. You know, everybody's children. That's really not what they're talking about here. We're children of God and the fact that God made the world, but he's talking about this full sonship where you have full, total rights to everything that God has happens through Jesus Christ. When you become a believer of Jesus Christ, you are now transferred. We'll read this when he reads about the rights to the Ephesians. You're transferred, in a sense, out of this kingdom into the kingdom of, of God. Even here. See, a lot of people think, well, my life will suck until I get to heaven. Well, that might be, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Okay, I mean, if we really get to the place where we understand what this is, it changes everything. What it is, spiritually speaking, is like, like Bill Gates was your dad, he kicked the bucket, and now you get all the money. You got all the money in the bank, but you still drive around in a used pickup truck and moan and groan because you don't have enough money to go to McDonald's. So you know you have a an account that you can tap and get into. Well, I don't know, maybe someday, but I just can't do it now. You know? That's kind of the analogy. But a lot of people spiritually live like paupers, where their lives, for a lack of a better word, suck. I'm talking Christians. They struggle. What Paul's trying to let them know is, look, this has changed. You're not one of these, oh, God doesn't care about me. And I hope someday you know, he'll notice me. Woe is me. Oh, bother Eeyore. You know, the spirit of Eeyore's on it. Everywhere there's a cloud. And what Paul says in Ephesians, some of these other places, tries to shake them up and say, stop. You don't realize what has happened here. When you become a joint heir, forget Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a nothing. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All of heaven and God's backing is there for you in your life. How come I don't experience it? Because number one, you don't understand it. Paul writes to the Ephesians, open your eyes. I pray that your eyes will be open so you can see this. 
Again, it's like someone who lives like a pauper who doesn't realize he has millions. And you're trying to get him to understand. Oh, I don't understand. Anyway, that's what it is. So it's a big deal now that we are heirs of God. Formally, he's writing now, he's really talking about to the pagan guys who'd gotten saved. You did not know God. You were slaves to those by, who by nature are not gods. I mean, they believe in all kinds of crazy stuff. But now that you know God, or, are, or rather are known by God, which is, is really a big thing here, you know, we often say, I found Jesus. Yeah, but he was never lost. <laughs> You're the one who's been found, right? And you came to God. God drew you by his spirit. You heard the good news of the gospel, this message that God loves me, and if I put my faith and trust in him, I can have new life, and you responded to that, and, and boom. Now, now you know God, or as Paul said, you are now known of God. It's not like God doesn't know who you are. God knows who everybody is. But we're talking an intimate thing. You know, these are the kind of words they use when they talk about you know, uh, relationships between husbands and wives. Adam knew Eve, the Bible says. That doesn't mean they sat down, shook hands, and had a talk. It means they knew each other. You know what I'm saying? That's what the Bible talks about. That's the new. So when it says God knows you, so we're talking an intimate connection with God that is beyond anything else that happens. That's what happens you get born again. Everything changes. It all changes. You say, I don't think I've experienced that yet. Well, then you need to come talk to us and we can help you get there. But that's what this being born again and experiencing God in your life is really all about. So anyway, he says, now that you are known of God, how is it that you are turning your back to those weak and miserable forces. In other words, he says, your life stunk. You're following these stupid pagan gods and stuff like that. And now you come to come to know God, which is this incredible experience. Why are you turning back to this idea of rules and regulations that you have to go through before you can know God? Not that there are not rules and regulations in Christianity. There are. We'll get to a few of them here in a little bit. But, uh, it's, but it's not the kind of stuff that you have to do to earn God's approval. He says, what are you guys doing? He says, do you wish, back to verse, uh, where am I, eight. Da, 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 da. Do you wish to be enslaved by these all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. What are you doing? Amazingly, there are Christians to this very day who still observe special days, special months, special seasons, and special years. Ironically, the Christian calendar is full of them. You know, now we're not as obsessed by them as the Jews were, but I think Paul would have had a fit even by what we do today. Because we have, we're coming up to the season of what? Advent. It's an Advent season. And then we're going to go into the season of Lent. And then we're going to go into the season of Easter, and we're in all these things. You know, we have these special days and stuff like that that we really make a big deal of, and it's like the two days where everybody actually comes to church. <laughs> Christmas and Easter. And Mother's Day, oddly enough. I don't know where they get that one from, but they... So, you know, uh, there's people who get all excited. I, I hear them. I know what they're trying to do, but I just... It doesn't work for me. I hear Christians get all excited. You know, this is the year of Jubilee. Because they go to back to the Jewish calendar. And it really has significant spiritual impact for us Christians. There's people who preach us like crazy. TV, this is the year of Jubilee. Praise God. You should be excited. Pastor Mark, are you excited about the year of Jubilee? No. Because it don't mean jack to us. I don't follow especially days and years and all that stuff. I'm sure it means something to them. It really has no impact to us. But again, we're drawn to those. We like there's something special about it. Oh, this year will be my year. It's the year of Jubilee. Amen. Amen. Shut up. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, I love Randy. Okay, so. Anyway, it says, I fear for you, verse 11. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. All of this stuff, and now you're being pulled back into this religiosity and all this stuff and all these rituals that these Jewish guys want to shove down your throats. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. He loved these people. He spent time with these people. He suffered and struggled with these people. The starting of Christianity, remember we read it. They had some really hard times. They came against them. They persecuted them. They, once they stoned Paul, they thought he was dead. Left him outside and said, and they had to go grab him and bring him back in, you know. 
We like to picture that he was suddenly raised from the dead. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he just got up really sore. They dragged him back in. They were really close to him. In fact, this will fry your head. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Really? Now, we don't hear this because they don't give us those kind of details in the book of Acts. You get a lot more detail here. And there's parts of the book of Acts where it does have a lot of detail, but it's only when Luke is on site and we really see, we'll see what we get to. It's really rather interesting. But as I've told you many, many times, the Bible is not a bunch of stories. If it were stories, they're the worst storytellers in the world because they don't give any detail. A good story gives you dun, 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 you know, all the details and stuff. These are, he went here, he did that, this happened, and moved there. Hey, that would have been a cool story. What do you mean? It was because of an illness. He was too sick to travel, and that's how he was available. I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But this is also very interesting. Now, stop and think about this. Let's keep, let's keep reading. Verse 14. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get discouraged because sometimes you feel like you're, you don't have enough faith that you shouldn't be going through the hard time that you're going through? You ever feel like that? And we all do, right? Oh, if it was just like the Bible days, we'd have to... Now, check this out. Paul is writing to him, say, I was sicker than a dog. Now, wait a minute. This is the guy who's raising people from the dead. This is the guy who's preaching and seeing incredible miracles. This is the guy who is just doing all kinds of stuff. And then he gets... I don't know what he's got, the flu? I have no idea. I don't know what he's got. He was still, oh, man, oh, I said, that's got to be discouraging. You raise somebody from the dead, and oh, man, I'm going to go puke. <laughs> Why didn't he get healed? Well, eventually he healed, but no sign of a dramatic interventional healing. Why? I don't know. Neither do you. <laughs> don't get discouraged when you have struggles and you think, I shouldn't be sick, and if I just had enough faith, I wouldn't be sick. <sighs> There's elements of truth in that, but the truth is even Paul was sick. Really, really, really sick. And I don't think he had a faith problem. I'm pretty sure he knew the Bible, particularly because he wrote most of the New Testament. Sometimes stuff happens (laughs) to be a nice boy. (laughs) Sometimes just lousy things happen. Why? I don't know. I really trust God. I was really believing God and everything, and then it still didn't work out for me. How come, Pastor? I don't know. Sometimes we just get tested, right? Testing of your faith. The Bible says it builds character in us. Personally, I don't like it. I wish, you know, you could just, you know, what, what is that show where they, I'll call a friend, <laughs> Lifelines. <laughs> I wish there was something else we could do to get character. I wish we could stop by and bike. I like you play these video games and you pick up those extra PowerPoints because you're going to need them later. Boy, I'd like to go pick up some character PowerPoints. And I'm all set. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You know how you get character? By going through things that are absolutely miserable. They're absolutely frustrating. That test your faith. Hard times, difficult struggles. Now, the good news is the Lord brings us out. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. There's a promise for you. (laughs) But the rest of it says, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Man, I've got all kinds of tribulation stories. But actually, some of the best stories, I have some of the greatest funny miracles that I've answered to prayer. I mean, they're funny stories, but they always happen because something terrible happened to me. It is. Something really bad happened. It's like I always say, people want a miracle, but they don't want to have to have a miracle. When they have to have a miracle, they get mad at God, which means they don't get a miracle. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. All right, so anyway. So he's sick. We never heard this story. This is a real new insight. So he had a hard time. Then he says, where then is your blessing for me now? Now, you guys took care of me. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, these guys, when they came in after Paul's absence, and they started turning these guys not only away from the truth of Christianity, they started turning them against Paul. 
I think Paul was wrong and Paul misled you. And, Paul, and he is, he's really in a state of shock. He's furious, as you can tell, the way he's writing, especially in the earlier parts. Uh, but he's really, really mad and uh, so confused that they would do this. He said, those people, verse 17, these guys who are doing this, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you can be, have zeal for them. It's all about ego. It's always about power. It's always about prestige. They look up to Paul. No, Paul's nothing. I'm the guy. I'm here. I should love me. I'm fabulous. Let me tell you how fabulous I am. And that's, he said, all they're trying to do is pull in and, and try and get your affection because they don't want it coming towards me. He says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, just not when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. This is really painful for me. I, I just want to get you there until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. What tone? Remember, he starts out saying, these guys are doing this, I wish they'd go to hell. He's mad. He is furious. Talks about how he rebuked Peter. I don't care who he is. He was acting like a hypocrite. I mean, he's just going off, and he's talking about these people. He just did this nice little break here on his great biblical arguments here, but he's not done. We're about to get to the, the coup d'etat, which is very, very funny. All right, so now he goes back to his biblical argument. What he says, I wish you were there so, so I could you know, mellow out my tone because I know you're really thinking I'm, I'm really mad. And I am really mad, but okay. Tell me, he says, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it was written that, written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and other by the free woman. Now the analogy here, he's making an analogy. In fact, he somewhere actually says he's making an analogy. Let's keep reading. He, uh, he had the free woman and, and the slave woman. In other words, here's the story for those of you who don't know it. Abraham was told that Sarah would give him a child and that he would be the father of a multitude. Well, the years are ticking along here and ain't nothing happening. And at some point, you know, that ship has passed. It has sailed for Sarah, all right? A man can still sire a child in his 90s, which I believe is exactly what happened here. How old was he? How old is he? His 90s? 100. He's 100 years old. But for women, it's pretty much, you know, all right, we're, we're done here. We're all closed for business, all right? So she gets to the place where she's all closed for business, and, and she, you know, she, well, let, let's help God out. Clearly, God wants to give you a family. So he said, you know, have sex with my maidservant. Abraham goes, okay. <laughs> Men, huh? So he has sex with the maidservant. He certainly felt free about that. This is a wonderful answer for me. So she gets pregnant and has Ishmael. And God goes, no, it's not Ishmael. I told you. I would give you a child through Sarah. So uh, finally, it's really miraculous. Their bodies like had to come back to life. I don't know what happened there, but all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Really? I mean, this is, you know, it's not a virgin birth, but it's pretty close. All right, it's just under the virgin birth category. So all of a sudden, she's pregnant, and she gives birth to Isaac. So Isaac is the child of promise. Ishmael is the child when you try to do things under your own strength. And uh, so he's using this analogy that, you know, here you have these two boys, okay? Uh, verse 23, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are taken figuratively. In other words, he's making an analogy here I don't quite follow his thinking, but it doesn't matter. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, which is the chick that he went off with her. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. He's an Arab. She's an Arab. That's what she represents, the Arabs, which Jews still have problems with to this day. Today, they're called Muslims by and large. And it corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. So he's saying the analogy here is, you know, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and for the city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. Um, what? I don't know. Mount Sinai is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. 
But what he's pointing out is all of this. He's putting the Ten Commandments and all that stuff in the categories of slavery. This isn't the divine promise. What you guys think is the divine promise is not the divine promise. Okay? And then he says to the present city of Jerusalem, maybe what he's talking about there is that at that time, the city of Jerusalem was under occupation. So maybe that's his analogy. Maybe I just answered my own question. Okay. So, but, but the Jerusalem that is from above, in other words, the new city of Jerusalem, the city of God in heaven, She's our mother, for it is written, be glad, barren woman, who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. In other words, the greater blessings are to those of the promise. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, which is the one who was the child of promise, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. He said, it is the same now. I can reiterate that. It is still the same now for all these thousands of years. Even way back from Abraham on up, these people have hated the Jews, and they still hate them. And you hear about them, you know, we need to kill these guys. We need to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, and they want to exist another 25. I mean, this stuff, and that bombs, and everybody's always talking about constantly. Amazingly, it goes back to those two things. I'm pretty sure most Jews wish Abraham would have waited because the first child, who are the descendants of the Arabs and of, of Islam, uh, and Islams will tell you this, the Muslims will tell you that, they claim Abraham as their father as well. It's really rather fascinating. Jews consider Abraham their father, and Muslims consider Abraham as their father, but they split with the two boys. They're of Ishmael, they are of Isaac, and who has Jacob, who's renamed Israel, and they become the 12 sons of Israel, who turn into the 12 tribes of Israel, all this stuff like that. Well, you got Ishmael's deal. They still, to this day, are at each other's throats. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Actually, do you know, you know who started circumcision in the first place? It was Abraham. Now, for that point, the Jews did have a connection with Abraham before the law came. So... They could argue back in that case. In fact, Jews are required to circumcise their children, and so are Muslims. They have the same deal, you know, from a religious standpoint, and it all goes back to Abraham. Really fascinating when you look at these things. So anyway, so he says, the one persecuted the other is the same now, it's still the same. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. He's trying to draw the analogy between, and he's using uh, Sinai and the law of Moses as reference to the slave woman. I'm not sure what the connection is there, how he draws that, but anyway, it doesn't matter. What do I know? All right, so keep going. Chapter five, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We have been, I'm telling you, you know, we, we don't really see it because, you know, unless you come out of a church that was really legalistic. There's some people here that came out of churches that were just, everything was, you know, took the rules and rules and rules and rules and rules, rules. You come out of that and you come into true Christianity, it is really free. It really is. Or if you were in a religion, even Islam, for example, and you become a Christian, holy cow, it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, Jews as well, when they would come out of that system, all of a sudden they were, I don't have to do all this stuff. This is hugely free. All religions throughout the majority of mankind's experience, if you go and look at these religions, they're very heavy. It's complicated. You got to study this, and you got to do that, and you got to fast here, and you got to go on these pilgrimages there, and you got to suffer this and that. I mean, it's really, really complicated. Pick your religion. It's pretty complicated. Christianity is different than every other religion in the world. That is not complicated. It's done by faith, and we're born again by faith. Now, we got some things we're supposed to avoid. There are a few rules, and we're going to hit them in a minute. But uh, it's not like all this heavy legalism. So he said, man, Jesus has come to set you free. You have been born again. You now have freedom. Stay in that freedom, he says. Don't go back to these rules, which I have seen Christians, every once in a while you'll see a, it's been a while. I think we're kind of due. Every once in a while you'll get a, 
a fad of a version of Christianity that's very legalistic. You know, last time I remember it, I won't mention any names, but you know who they were. Uh, no pastors here and stuff, but uh, major celebrities and stuff. They got caught into this. And they were totally into, you know, uh, we need to call God Jehovah and, and, and all these, and we got to only worship on Saturday and all these. They get really, really strict about this. Seventh-day Adventists kind of follow that category all the time. And I like it. They're very nice people. They're not evil people at all. I've done many events with Seventh-day Adventists. I just think they're wrong. <laughs> You know, but anyway, not from a bad way. I just, they think you should follow all these rules, as many as possible. And they, now they have an explanation for all this, but you can come up, the people are really, they'll come up with an explanation about anything, but it's really a stretch. When you have to start wrestling the Bible into pretzel sticks to make it sense for what you already think, that's not a good thing. So, but there are people, they like it. They like the regulations. They like the strictness. There's a sense of freedom. People, there's people who actually like to be told what to do. You know, Joe, Pastor Joe and I are like 182 years old. And back in the day, you know, there was a Jesus people movement. Some of you geezers out there will remember this. It was a big deal across the country. Tens of thousands of young people were coming to Christ. And, uh, and then some of us got caught up into groups of them that were extremely controlling, uh, we could tell you stories that would make your head spin. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without permission from the elders. Literally, right? Literally. You want to go across the street down there to get, you know, you want to go to, uh, what's a grocery store around here? <laughs> festival. You want to go to a festival, you got to get permission. Make sure your elder can tell you. I'm, you, I'm talking control. Every once in a while, people, well, I've been accused of being Controlling. Clearly, these people do not know <laughs> the experience. <laughs> they have no idea. Just because I say what's well, right and wrong, like, or because I won't let the choir sing or whatever, I'm as this controlling legalistic. Really? I just couldn't stand the choir. So, we came out of that. And we finally came to our senses by God's grace. So, what the heck are we doing? Now, we knew this stuff was going on, but there was so much that God was doing at the time. It's like, sometimes God just overlooks these things, and despite who you are and what you think, he'll show up and agree. And he was, but at some point, it was like the hand of God just started coming off of everything, and everything was failing. And it was quite a miserable time. Again, we have stories you wouldn't believe. Uh, and then finally, we got out of there. But there are people to this day that long for that. We, we travel with these guys. They long for those days. They love the idea that someone tells me what to do all the time. They actually find safety. There's something in the human spirit that kind of longs for this legalistic craziness. We've seen it firsthand. I don't know why anybody would long for that. I hated that. But they long and they like it. Some people actually, and there's people who stay in churches like that because they're very legal and they like it. You know, God bless them. As long as they keep loving Jesus. Whatever. All right. Anyway, so Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, he's really mad, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Well, now, there are some of us here who are circumcised. I don't know. I don't want to know. I would like to go to my grave and never know what your status is. So how they knew this stuff, I don't know, you know. We were talking about the other, what did they do? Did they, you said they had public baths and stuff. And they, so they had to like, see what was going. They had inspectors, you think they had? <laughs> you know, you're being a jerk. <laughs> wiener inspectors. <laughs> What's your job? I'm a wiener inspector. That's what I do, praise God. It's my job. I don't know how they knew this stuff. I have no idea. But he says, if you do this, Christ will mean nothing to you. Well, now wait a minute. Because there are those amongst us who have been circumcised, and Christ means everything to us. Uh, what is he talking about? He's just so mad. What he's saying is if you do this, trying to earn your way to God, then grace means nothing to you. So you can't take literally what he's saying here. A whole lot of us are out. All right? Again. Several times in this book, he repeats himself because he's so mad. 
I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. You've got to do all of it. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has no, any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast, you know, works through the whole batch of dough. It doesn't take much yeast to turn the whole thing, transform. Cook bread without dough, it's a whole different experience. I mean, without yeast, it's a whole different experience. You put yeast in, ooh, it doesn't take much. What he's saying, just this little bit of stuff is going to mess with you and turn you away from the grace that you put your trust in. I am confident in the Lord that he will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever he may be, will have to pay the penalty, which he said at the beginning is damnation in hell. He's really mad. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Man, I got the snot kicked out of me when I was with you people. If I would have just went along with these guys, I'd have been fine. Remember, it was the Jews that came around and incited everybody against them. He says, good grief, if that's why, why am I going through all this? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished, and the single strongest, angriest thing this man was ever recorded to say says this. As for those agitators, switch, push the button, there you go. <laughs> Sleeping back there. As for those agitators, who? These guys are saying, you've got to get circumcised. You've got to get circumcised. He says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means cut your wiener off. That's literally what he says. Now, it's really real, rather funny when you stop and think about it. He is literally saying, all these guys, you got, I wish they'd go home and just cut the whole thing off. Now, that's insulting to men 2,000 years ago and insulting to men of today. In fact, take any period of time in human history. That's an insult to a man. Cut your willy off. And so this is really hilarious. I mean, this is how angry he is. So he's literally writing to them, I wish these guys had just cut the whole thing off. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly enough. So he actually starts now turning you remember, he's probably spending a great deal of time writing this. It's not like he sat down and dictated all at one time. You know, he's writing these things down. He probably calms down after the wiener comment here and starts to change the conversation a bit. And he says, look, we've been called to freedom. But let's use this freedom to honor God. Don't use this freedom to sin. And that's something he deals, we'll get into a lot when we get to the Roman epistles and stuff like that. People are thinking, praise God. You mean grace, there was sin, and then grace came because of sin? Yeah, well, good, let's sin some more. It was literally what they thought. And he's going, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. We don't sin so we can have more forgiveness for heaven's sake. That's absurd. He makes a very strong argument about that. We'll, we'll, we'll run into it later. But now he's just touching the very beginning of this argument he'll build much stronger on later. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Doing things wrong is what that means. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, everybody's obsessed by the law. He says, it's really fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite, bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the, uh, under the law. Now, what he's saying here, this is the classic Christian experience that all of you listening to me right now, Stevens Point, home groups, internet, here, the, everybody who's a Christian more than a few hours finds the struggle that goes on inside. We have been born again. Symbolically, we were buried with Christ through baptism, but that old nature is still there. That sinful, rotten nastiness that you've turned your back on, that God has forgiven you for, is still there. 
And it'll pop up at times when you have no idea it's popping up. And it'll give you fits. If you're not careful, you'll lust like you shouldn't lust. You'll get angry like you shouldn't get angry. You'll get jealous like you shouldn't get angry. You'll get bitter. You'll get unforgiving. I'm telling you, you can be a God-fearing person doing all this. And if you're not careful, wow, that icky old nature will pop back up in your life. And I'm pretty sure it has for everybody listening to me here. If not, I'd like to meet you. (laughs) But we all deal with this. It's the struggle. We shouldn't be living according to the old nature. We're supposed to be living according to the new nature. I would love to tell you as soon as you get saved and you have this glorious response to this wonderful, simple message of the gospel of Christ that this just goes away and now, ta-da! Now, in a way, that does happen. All things become new. All your sins are forgiven and stuff. But the crazy thing is that thing is still there. It's in you. It's why, actually, everybody has to die. Because this flesh has been so poisoned by sin, it is unredeemable. Unredeemable. Actually, in the beginning, when you read the story of Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. Now, there's a tree in the garden that if they eat, they will be turned into eternal beings, like angels and stuff. The first thing that happens is that we have got to get them out of that garden before they eat that tree. What that means is if God would have allowed them to eat it, none of us would ever die. There'd no be heart, there wouldn't be any heartache, no one would ever get sickness, disease, no, everybody just, there wouldn't be any more disease. Why did God, every time we have a funeral, oh, why do they have to die? Listen to me. One of the kindest, most gracious things God ever did is keep us mortal because it made us fixable. It made us redeemable. And Jesus was able to come and to die. Had we turned into eternal beings like angels, it's over. You can't be redeemed. Why didn't Jesus die for the devil? Can't. Why didn't he die for all these fallen angels and demons and redeem them? Can't. They are locked into their sin condition for eternity and can never change. Not even God can change it. Thank God that we're still mortal. And that through all this and through the death of Christ, all these things that we read through the Bible makes it possible for us to be redeemed. We have the struggle, but we need to. And he tells us, you want to win the struggle, you need to walk in the spirit. If you'll follow the spirit, you'll stay away from these things. If you let yourself get back into carnal thinking, then you'll start sinning like crazy and having problems. You need to stay free of these things. That's the key. That's the challenge of everybody listening to me right here. You want to be a successful Christian? You have to intentionally focus on this spiritual part of your life and, and try and not spend so much time on this. The thing is, you know, we're, we're not schizophrenic. We're still just one person, and it's all there. And you still got to deal with life, and you still get hungry, and if you don't shower, you're still going to stink. And, you know, I mean, it's just, everybody has to go potty. I mean, it is what it is. The good news is we die. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's why when you go to a Christian funeral, everybody's kind of happy, Right? You go to funerals where people aren't born again, oh, it's, it's bad. The wailing, the darkness, the mourning, the hopelessness, ooh, it's, it's icky. You go to a funeral of a godly man or woman, there's a step there. Everybody's still crying because you miss them, but man, it's different. Why? Because we're just passing through, man. They made it. They got rid of the old man, and now they're just walking in this total freedom of the spiritual life. Hallelujah. Now, someday we will all be resurrected physically, join with our spirits, and we'll have a new body that won't be poisoned and stuff. Until then, it is what it is. Uh, so, he's talking about don't live by the flesh, live by the spirit. Then he goes into the list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, apparently Paul did not live in 21st century America. Because apparently none of this is obvious anymore. Even to Christians, professing Christians. Sexual immorality right at the top of the list. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, brother. It's okay. It's okay if people fornicate as long as they love Jesus. What in God's name? You have no idea the emails I get. Pastor Mark, me and my boyfriend, we really love Jesus. We're committed to God and everything. We, we get naked and have sex and stuff, but we really love Jesus. Really? What the heck is that? I don't know. How about you keep your pants on? Or just marry the girl. The, the fornic- I don't understand the fornicating thing. I, honestly, I don't get it. Just marry, the, marry each other. You don't have to fornicate. 
Perm is not obvious anymore. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. This is the bad kind of jealousy. This is a good kind of jealousy, the kind of jealousy that God has that is described as intolerant of unfaithfulness. I promise you, the redhead is intolerant of unfaithfulness in my life. I'm not allowed to date other women. It's very unfair. She won't tolerate those kind of things, all right? And I have the same rule on her. A God, I mean, that's a good kind of jealousy. There's the other kind of paranoid, insecure. Oh, I don't like that person. That person's better than me. I as soon as somebody pretty walks in the room, all the women get mad. Oh, everybody, ah, they're so jealous and nasty. Stop. <laughs> I could say more, I will not. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Yes, I would think that would all be in the no-no category. And the like. In other words, he's not even say the whole list. It's pretty obvious. Stuff that is bad. And then he says, I warn you. Everybody say warn. I warn you that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here we have a big theological hoop-dee-doo. On occasion, we'll run into the theological hoop-dee-doos. And, uh, and we'll bring them up. I'll tell you what I think. It's not a law around here. It's certainly not a litmus test around here. There's wonderful people in our church who absolutely disagree with me on this. There's two lines that you fall in uh, basic Christian doctrine concerning salvation. One side is what we call Calvinists. These are people who believe that once you've truly believed in Jesus, you can never go to hell. You could rape, kill, pillage, stab, do anything you want to do, and you're still saved. Nothing changes. I, on the other hand, don't think that way. Most evangelical Christians actually don't think that way. Most of you, we never hear these conversations because most of you, are like me, were raised Catholics, and we thought we were going to hell every 10 minutes, so it didn't matter. All right? But there's people who are raised this way, and they just absolutely believe it, and we have some like this. There's pastors who come and preach in this pulpit, friends of mine that I have, who think like this. And they absolutely believe this. So it's not a litmus test. They're still my friends. I still let them come preach. I still let them preach on that. <laughs> All right? Because I think they're crazy. So uh, what they're saying is, when he said, but, but dude, when they're living like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, oh, no, that just means they won't be blessed. Really? That's a warning? Now, here's why I would suggest thinking like me, despite the fact that I am an incredibly beautiful man. If they're right, what I believe is perfectly safe. If you can lie, cheat, go to orgies and everything else, and still get into heaven, well, surely the people who don't will also get into heaven. But if I'm right and they're wrong, there's going to be literally hell to pay. I don't think he's talking about you're just not going to get blessed. I think he's warning you. Live like that. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think you get in. Again, there are people in our church who would fight, but we don't have these fights. I get it. Peace. This is what I think. You don't have to think. My job, I teach you, I show you the evidence, and then you make up your own minds Okay, especially on things like this. We do not have litmus tests where everybody has to think the same doctrine about, and there's tons of them in the Christian faith, and we'll go through them all as we go through the New Testament. And it's usually what creates divisions between Christians. There's no reason for divisions for it. There's no, you can be a Calvinist here and be happy as a clam, because we never talk about it. Most of you, some of you right now, it's the first time you even heard the phrase. <laughs> really? People think like that? You know? Yeah, they do. We don't talk about it. You know, it doesn't really matter. We try to encourage people, whether they get blessed or not, don't do it. I think even the blessing, I think the blessing still is a strong argument. You want to get blessed, right? You know, you just stop doing it. And a lot of times I'll just use that approach with people. Just telling people they're going to go to hell isn't exactly the most encouraging tack line of argument with people. But I think we need to keep people away from these and encourage them because you potentially could put your soul in danger. So I don't agree with that. It just means I won't get blessed. Okay. Even then, why would you do it if you're not going to get blessed? I don't know about you, but I need God on my side. Okay. But I would warn you, don't do these things. You start getting up and having affairs with people in the church and doing all kinds of, you turn, you know, going and drunken and hitting on women and acting like a pig and all these other things. Man, that's bad for you. 
Don't live this way. Do not live this way. Well, I believe in Jesus. I know, but still, just stay away from that, which is what he's telling. He says, we don't want to give into the flesh, we want to give into the spirit. He says, the flesh is obvious, and he goes through this list of very nasty things. These are the things Christians should not do. There's other lists that we'll run into, but they're all basically the same list. At times, he mentions a couple of things that he doesn't mention here, but it's all basically the same list. Christians should not be doing these things. Do we all know Christians who are doing these things? Indeed, we do. Should you just run out and tell them they're going to hell? No, I wouldn't tell them. I would just challenge them. Don't do that. This is destructive. You don't want to do that. And at a minimum, God's not going to bless your life. So I have no problem making that debate, but man, I'm not going to encourage people that, hey, you just keep doing this. It's still going to be okay in the end. Don't sign me up for that. I'm not telling anybody that. If I'm wrong, and I hope I am, we're all good. If I'm right and they're wrong, there's going to be some real shocks coming. I happen to remember Jesus saying, on that day, many will say to me, hey, I'm a believer. He says, I have no idea who you are. I tend to think these people are in that list, but I won't get into that argument. Make your own decision. Now, then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Totally contrary. That's what the flesh is like. This, he's trying to encourage him to walk in the Spirit. Because he says the fruit of the Spirit, after reading that horrible list that we want to stay away from, here's the good list. If you're walking the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which irritates me because I run into people all the time and so I can't help it. Yes, you can. It's called self-control. Well, uh, Pastor, I can't help but look at porn. Yes, you can. There's not little porn gnomes that drag you out of bed in the middle of the night and drag you against your will and stick in front of a computer. You can control it. You just choose not to. Oh, I can't help it. Yes, you can. I don't buy it. I, I can't help it. It's nonsense. Jesus came to set us free from this filth of the flesh. Uh, later, we'll read, uh, is it Titus or whoever, where it's written, you know, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to these things and controlling yourself. The grace of God actually enables you to stop doing these things. You don't have to do them. Now, what confuses people is they think, well, I still feel like it. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. And that is the most important message I could ever get across to people on this issue. We do not live by our feelings. There are people who struggle with all kinds of horrible, bad things. And they pray, they, they know it's bad, and they cry to God, and they, oh, God, take away this feeling. Take away this feeling. Maybe some of you have prayed, oh, God, take away this feeling. I shouldn't be feeling this thing towards somebody else. Oh, God, take away this feeling. It's a prayer, it's an absolute futility. The only way God takes away the feeling is to kill you because it's your flesh. Someday, the feeling will go away. Hopefully before you keel over, but if necessary, when you keel over. All right? Forget the feeling. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to do it. The beauty is I don't have to do what I feel. You say, well, well I feel like looking at porn. Fine. What should I do? Don't look. You don't have to do it. I feel like cheating with somebody else's husband. I really feel it deeply. I'm sure you do. What should I do? Nothing. Don't do it. What about my feelings? Who cares? Don't listen. Now, stop and think. The culture we live today says you have to do what you feel. You have to do what you feel. You can't help it. If you don't do what you feel, you'll go crazy. Because they're advocating the flesh. They're advocating spiritual anarchy in people's lives. All the psychologists and all the psychiatric people tell, if you don't go with who you feel and what you're feeling, you'll be repressing your emotions and you'll turn into an ax murderer, whatever the deal is. They're wrong. They're just wrong. You don't have to do it. Our feelings do not define us. People say, I'm, I'm gay because I feel I'm gay. No, you're gay. Act on it. What do I do with my feelings? I feel that way. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what we feel. Anymore it matters if I feel like committing adultery. Doesn't matter. There's, it's not just not gay. It's like there's a whole list of things here. Gay is one of the lists that changes. He adds, adds it to one list that he gives. We hate these people? No. We don't hate them any more than we hate all the fornicators and adulterers and impure, wicked, hatred, discording, fighting, jealous, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunken people. We don't hate anybody. But you're not supposed to do these things, and you don't have to do them. If you, as a Christian, never learn you don't have to do what you feel, 
you'll be a victim. The devil will have you by the throat. When you finally get the revelation, I pray to God, people's eyes will be open. When you get to the revelation, I don't have to do what I feel. Wow. It changes everything. It is empowering. Temptations come. We all feel bad things. I feel at times quite horrid things. Hard to imagine because I have such a holy glow about me. It's such a... We all feel things. It might be anger. It might be bitterness. It might be lust. Check out the hot chick. Woo! No. We don't act on those things. Well, I felt that for a second. Well, take a shower. It doesn't define us. When my flesh rises up and starts screaming and shouting, I just pray more. Fast. Your flesh hates fasting. If you never fast, try it. See how much you enjoy that. Seriously, just quit feeding yourself for 24 hours. Your body will quit thinking about whatever you were wanting to do, and all it's going to be thinking is, give me a cheeseburger, give me a cheeseburger. You can't control. I'm supposed to shut up. I've gone past my time. But this is good preaching. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm telling you, get this, you will be free. You walk around free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Feel like getting drunk? Yes, I do every day. Praise God. What do you do? I don't do it. Do you feel like stealing? Absolutely. I just want to go out and steal everything I can. When I go to whatever store. I'm not talking about me. I'm saying people. I have my issues. That's not one of them. I feel like punching people in the face that, you know, cheer for the bears. Amen. Amen. That I understand. That is all. That's all. I'm sorry I brought that one up. People feel all kinds of, there's people who actually act on their feelings all the time. They're out of control. Pastor, I feel these things. So what? Well, I pray God take away these feelings. You're praying the wrong prayer. What should I do? Learn. You don't have to do what you feel. Celebrate that you don't have to do what you feel. Hallelujah. Now, will people make mistakes? Yeah. Will there be times you might act on a way you shouldn't act? Yeah. Now, some of these have much greater consequences than others. You getting really mad and wanting to punch somebody, even if you punch them, is not as serious as, you know, stabbing someone to death. Now, will the Lord forgive you for both? Yes. The second one has rather stiff consequences to it. You hear what I'm saying? You know, you want to commit adultery? You can, but there's some pretty stiff, God will forgive you. It's heavy consequences. I mean, some of these things have real heavy consequences. Others, not so much, but people make mistakes. We got to love people. If there's one thing I've learned as a Christian and as a pastor is that people sometimes fall back into that flesh. Maybe because they're not walking in the spirit. They're not letting the spirit of Christ empower them so they have self-control and all these other things. And they make mistakes. And we need to be there for each other and encourage another, which is he's going to talk about in a little bit here. We won't hear that until we come back together again. But, uh, um, so he starts hitting all these different angles and stuff. But the good news is he says, man, if you guys will just walk in the spirit, focus, you will be set free from this. You won't have to do that. But make a mistake. This will always be yelling at you at times. And sometimes when you, sometimes you don't think about it. Just when you think, man, I've got this licked. I'll never get angry again. And then your husband will do something (laughs) that will drive you mad. (laughs) Why? I don't know. It just is what it is. You know, just when you think you're not going to have any more problems with this, that, or the other, man, it'll pop back up. The Bible says, be careful. When you think you stand is when you're most likely to fall. People say, Pastor, how can you admit that you feel a thing? Because I know me. I know, man, I'm capable. Anybody, I'll tell you, the truth is any of us are capable of anything. Given the right circumstances, any one of you are capable of anything on that list. Oh, I'd never do that. Yeah, you would. That's why you're supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer. Keep us from temptation. Over and over again, the Lord encouraged, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Why? Because nobody's immune from this stuff. I pray all the time, and I hope you pray for your pastor. Lord, <laughs> help the boy. <laughs> Keep him from temptation. I want that prayer for me. I need that prayer. Because I know me. I never walk around thinking, well, I'd never do such and such. That pastor over there, we're reading him the paper, he's having affairs. I'd never do such a thing. No, I read that in the paper and go, oh man. He's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> he is a lot more successful than I was. He knew the Bible better than I do. Way more influence than I did. And he had happened to him. Look out. It can happen to anybody, anytime anywhere. The good news is if we'll walk in the spirit, we can avoid these things. 
Although we stumble, but you know, you want to really be careful. You know, take even the stumbling seriously. There's some of these things that would have a major disaster in your lives. But even if you did, even if you did the worst, even if you've reached over and stabbed Randy to death, you know, we'd forgive you. <laughs> we'll visit you in jail. <laughs> you know, that's the good news. No matter what, there's still forgiveness. But there's some heavy consequences. So anyway, we want to listen to Paul. Let's walk in the spirit. Now, next Wednesday night is the night before Thanksgiving, and I don't want to work. Amen. Praise God. So I won't be here. <laughs> so stay home. Uh, unless your kids are in choir or something, I think they're going to make you bring them anyway. But that's not my problem. Talk to my wife. Uh, so, 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 so I'm not going to be here. Just enjoy your families. Chill out. Relax. And then the Wednesday after that, we'll be back and we'll pick it up and we'll continue through the rest of Galatians. We're almost done with it and then we'll get back into the book of Acts. Okay, everybody good? All right, see ya. Bye-bye.